Welcome to SVNM is Here, the State Bar of New Mexico's official podcast. In this series, we'll discuss topics such as professional development, tools of the legal trade, and mental and professional well-being. Connecting the legal community across New Mexico, SVNM is here. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to SVNM is Here. This is Morgan Pettit, Member Services Manager and Podcast Producer for the State Bar. So this episode is part one of a duet of episodes for the Bridge the Gap program. Stormy Ralston, who is the State Bar General Counsel, and Kate Kennedy, who runs the Bridge the Gap program, are going to have a discussion about what it means to be part of the State Bar, what your first year of licensure looks like, and what the Bridge the Gap program looks like. So please stay tuned. It's a nice, short, informational episode episode that will help get you ready as you enter the profession. The second episode is on member services and other member forward-facing things that you will now receive as part of a member of the State Bar of New Mexico. So listen to that second episode, that's separate. And with that, I will hand it over to Lauren Riley, who's our moderator. Thank you so much for that, Morgan. I'm Lauren Riley with the Young Lawyers Division. I also practice family law here in Albuquerque, New Mexico at Batley Family Law. And I'm excited to be with two staff members from the State Bar today, Kate Kennedy and Stormy Ralston. Stormy, can you tell us what your position is with the State Bar and what that entails? Um, Sure. So I'm the general counsel at the State Bar, and that means a lot of things, uh, but Probably for today's conversation, the most important aspect of my job is doing uh, the regulatory functions of the State Bar. I oversee all the regulatory functions of the State Bar. Thank you, Stormy. And Kate, can you tell us the same? What is your position with the State Bar and what does your position entail? Perfect. Um, I work closely with Stormy um, and my focus is really on the regulatory several of the regulatory programs of the state bar. So that includes MCLE, which is minimum continuing legal education, um, a little bit of licensing, um, Bridge the Gap, which is a program I'm really excited to talk about today. Um, And IOLTA um, is the other program I oversee. Awesome. So today, like we said, we are gonna talk about the regulatory aspect of the bar. But before we dive into what that even means, um, Stormy, can you tell us what is the state bar? (laughs) Yeah, actually, that's such a great question. Um, When I got out of law school, I don't come, I didn't have lawyers in my family. I don't come from a line of lawyers or anything. And so I graduated from law school. I took the bar. I was sworn in. And I started getting communications from the state bar and I was not sure what the state bar was. Wasn't sure how it was different from the ABA. I didn't know what it meant in my life. So I don't know if that's a common experience for young attorneys, uh, but it certainly was for me. So I'm happy to explain what the state bar is. Uh, And then even when you find out what the state bar is, it's kind of an unusual animal. So um, it's, it's good, to, it's good to have that discussion, I think. So the, the state bar in New Mexico is what is called a mandatory slash integrated bar. And what that means is there's two aspects to the state bar. It's a member services organization. It's a, um, actually it's a 
501c6 under the IRS code. That's the way it's incorporated, which is a member organization. And it has 8,000 active members and about 2,000 inactive members. So a total of 10,000 members. And as any membership organization would do, the State Bar provides services and benefits for its members. The State Bar is also a regulatory body because in New Mexico and in all states, there's about 33 states that have mandatory bars or integrated bars. Um, in those states, the profession of being an attorney is a self-regulated profession. Attorneys are regulated by attorneys. In, and I mean, the Supreme Court, who are attorneys, obviously, regulate the, the professionals, the professional attorneys in the state, as opposed to a state agency like regulation and licensing division. So the state bar is a membership organization providing member benefits. It's also a regulatory body and it handles the relicensing, re license renewal for all attorneys every year. And that includes MCLE, um, certifications, annual certifications regarding IOLTA, pro bono, those sorts of things, and the, reg uh, the registration statement. The State Bar also handles pro hoc vice, which is an attorney coming in from an out of state, from another state to practice here for a limited case. Just a okay. Bit. So we're going to talk a lot more in detail about what those things mean in, in later in the podcast, but can you tell us more about the state bar itself? And my understanding is there's also a part of the state bar that's the foundation and what the mission of those organizations are and what the difference is. Sure. So it's a, it is confusing. I think many people are confused about what the state bar is and what the state bar foundation or the New Mexico State Bar Foundation is. The state bar, as I, as I explained, is a membership organization. It's a 501c6. The foundation is a charitable organization. It's a 501c3. So the mission of the state bar is to be a united and inclusive organization serving the legal profession and the public. The mission of the foundation is to be the charitable arm of the state bar, and it operates exclusively for charitable and educational activities. So it educates attorneys. Our CLE department, which many people know about, lives in the foundation. It's an educational part of the mission of the foundation. Some of our uh, public service programs also live within the foundation, like our legal resources for the elderly program and things like that. Does okay, that so you're all housed in one building though, but these are, they fall under these different areas. We're, yeah, we're, okay. we're all housed under the same roof, but, okay. and we work very, very closely together, but we are two separate organizations. Okay, and so, um. In terms of mandatory, can you expand on what that means? You said there's 33 states that, that have a mandatory bar. What does it mean to be a mandatory bar? So as a mandatory bar, the bar handles the licensing. In order to practice law in New Mexico, you are required to be a member of the state bar. And that happens pretty much automatically. Once you're sworn in, you are automatically become a member of the state bar. 
then it's up to the attorney to renew that license and meet the all of the requirements of license renewal every year thereafter. Um, <clears throat> so all the other professions in the state that you can think of from hairdressers to CPAs to doctors are licensed through the regulation and licensing division of the state, RLD. Not so with attorneys. Attorney licenses come through the state bar under the authorization of the Supreme Court. So the state bar is responsible for all the regulation of attorneys, along with being a membership organization, as I described before, the state bar is responsible for regulation of attorneys um, in all aspects, except for admittance, which is handled by the board of bar examiners. Most people are familiar with that. They put on the bar exam and discipline, which is handled by the D board. Okay. So essentially you guys are taking rules from the Supreme court and enforcing them and assisting attorneys to make sure that they meet their licensing requirements each year. Exactly, exactly. Okay. And those rules, just uh, you know, in case anybody wants to read the rules, um, are in book two of the red book set of Supreme Court rules. And the rule set that covers MCLE, minimum continuing legal education, which is different than CLE, the educational services put on by the foundation. That's rule set 18. And rule set 24 are the rules of the state bar. So uh, everything to do with license renewal and the state bar as an organization are covered by rule set 24. Okay. I'm sure it's a good, a good read that we should all check out. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really good. Yes. I highly recommend it. <laughs> The Solutions Group, the State Bar of New Mexico's EAP provider, offers confidential and free professional counselors to support employees and their direct family members by offering short-term counseling, assessments, and referrals for any life struggle. This includes drug addiction, relationship conflict, anxiety, depression, and grief and loss. Other services include dependent care, crisis assessment, and intervention, educational presentations, free well-being webinars, and an online stress assessment tool. Call 505-254-3555 or 1-866-254-3555 and identify with NMJ Lab to schedule an appointment or video visit. So before we dive into what the heck do you do after you graduate, can you explain to us what the difference between an MCLE is and a CLE? Because I think when we're in law school, we know we got to do CLEs and then all of a sudden MCLE pops up and we don't know what that means. Right. So MCLE, perhaps confusingly, is, is stands for Minimum Continuing Legal Education. It, it's really mandatory continuing legal education. And um, every attorney is required as in many professions to get continuing legal education to keep their license active. CLEs are the courses that you actually take. Those are the continuing legal education courses that you actually take to meet the MCLE requirements. Okay, great. That helps us a lot. Thank you, Stormy. So, so Kay, I'm gonna turn to you. You know, when we graduate, you know, we feel overwhelmed 
everything's coming to us at once. We also then take the bar and everyone's praying you pass the bar. And then all of a sudden you've got to take care of stuff. So can you tell us just coming out of taking the bar and in that first year of practice, which we'll talk about more, what, what is the first year of practice, but what are the requirements for new attorneys in that first year? Okay, so you pass the bar in the fall, you're admitted in the fall. Your first full year of licensure is the year that you are an attorney on January 1st. So it's that very next year. Um, by February 1st of your first full year, you are required to complete your certifications and pay your licensing fees by February 1st. So that's a very important date. February 1st, you are required to, I'm going to say it again, complete your licensure. All You have certifications that you have to go through. You have to answer these questions. All of this is on the website. Um, and then you pay a licensing fee. That licensing fee in your first year um, is $350. Okay. And so um, let's back up a little bit. So okay. when you say complete your licensing certifications, can you expand on what that means? Yeah, absolutely. So there's some questions that we're going to ask you that you're, again, according to the rule that you are required to give this information to the bar. So the first thing is you go through and you confirm this is, yep, this is me. This is my email address. This is my um, mailing address, all of that. This is where I work. Um, then the certifications that you have to do have to do with IOLTA, which I don't have to expand on that here necessarily, but that's interest on lawyer trust accounts, which is a program that we run. Um, so you have to certify if you have one, you don't have one, that sort of thing. Um, you have to certify whether you've done any pro bono. Um, pro bono is not a requirement. It is an aspiration. Um, however, the Supreme Court does require that you tell us, tell the state bar whether you did pro bono or you did not do pro bono. Um, so when you're certifying in that first year on February 1st, you're really only certifying for the period of January 1 of that year through February 1st. So it isn't expected that you've met all your pro bono by that point or done all those things? So license renewal, part of license renewal looks at the year before, what you did in the year before. After your, after your first year of admission, every year that you complete MCLEs, you're completing those MCLEs and you will be judged as to whether you met the compliance for the year before you're paying your licensing fee for the current year that you're in. So your certifications are a mix of those two. The certifications look at what are you right at this moment? So the certification of, do I have professional liability insurance? That's right at this moment, do I have uh, professional liability insurance? Do I have an IOLTA account? Am I required to have an IOLTA account? Right at this moment, do I have an IOLTA account? Pro bono is, did I do, how much pro bono did I do in the prior year? And um, succession planning is coming. That's a, another topic. Um, and whether you took your trust accounting course or not, if you have a IOLTA account, that also looks at the prior year. So it's, it is confusing. When you renew your license, some of the things that, you're, that are required to renew your license 
covered are covered in the prior year, and the fee that you pay is paying for the year that we're currently in. Okay, I think that's great for you both. That clarifies what we're looking at, especially when we've had that weird period of time of it only being one year that is our our first practice year. So it's particularly awkward in that first year because you don't have a full year of history behind you and you didn't have to get any MCLEs. Uh, it gets a little less murky in the years after that. Okay, so just to look at, if we're certifying ourselves, these are all things that are on the State Bar website that we can find very easily to do, is that right? Correct, we have a brand new website and in that you can set up an account and you have a whole member dashboard. Um, and on that, you'll be able to see your current, um, you know, the address we have on file for you, that sort of thing. Um, you'll be able to change, you know, if you change jobs or you move or whatever, and you need to notify us, you can do all of that on the website, um, which is sbnm.org. Um, and then up in the right-hand corner, you can log in, set up an account um, and peek at what, you know, what, what exactly your dashboard entails. Okay. And I think that's a good thing to note is that it's where you can update your address and things like that. Absolutely. Obviously in the first year, we often take new jobs or, or other things, and we want to make sure people can find us. And I know one of the biggest resources I use on the state bar website every day is the online bar directory, because I find that to be much more up to date than the printed version. Yeah. And it's just quicker to get to. And so you know, as young lawyers, we need to make sure that people can find us so we can get clients and, and yeah. stuff. So that's a good, good to know that that's where we'd update that. So we kind of touched on um, that, what your first year looks like in the past, before COVID, people were getting sworn in in person and there are these big ceremonies and we know that hasn't been happening, but of the, a lot of the language that discusses what happens in your first year says, once you've been sworn in, so can you guys talk about what swearing in means and right now what's going on with that? So over the course of the last couple of years, because people couldn't collect in large groups, swearing ins just stopped happening. That doesn't mean that the attorneys who were admitted to the bar are any less attorneys or less able to practice or have any less obligation to complete the the requirements of licensure, like MCLEs and pay, paying the licensing fee. It just means that they weren't sworn in. Swearing, being sworn in is really important. You sign this big book that the Supreme Court has that goes back 130 years or something. And, you know, I mean, it's a wonderful, wonderful tradition, but it is um, a tradition and uh, an important one. And I think the Supreme Court's now trying to go back around, they're going around the state and holding small swearing in ceremonies to try to get all of the attorneys who were admitted over the last two years sworn in. Um, and that's important when it's your, when you have an opportunity to do that, you need to do it. It is important, but you're not any less an attorney just because you haven't been sworn in. So the big thing to take from that is we still have got to meet these licensing requirements and and make sure we're doing these certifications just because we might not have been sworn in yet. Correct. So. The 
the State Bar of New Mexico's Ethics Helpline is available for all members. Attorneys may call the helpline and at the recording, leave their contact information and an ethics attorney will call back in a timely manner. These are non-New Mexico attorneys for conflict and confidentiality reasons, but are well-versed in our rules of professional conduct. The call is confidential, so call 1-800-326-8155 when you need it. That's 1-800-326-8155. Okay. So Kate, I'm gonna to turn to you. I, I think one of the big programs that you work on is Bridge the Gap. And that's obviously a huge component in the first year of what new lawyers need to participate in. So can you tell us what is Bridge the Gap? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Bridge the Gap, really the idea behind the program, um, and it is a national program, a lot of, of state bars run it, offer it. Um, the idea behind it is it really is that bridging the gap between law school and the actual practice of law. Um, it's aimed to help new attorneys kind of navigate the waters, um, feel out how, you know, what it is like to practice law. Um, so within that, what we try to do, and we're constantly looking at the program and trying to revamp it and trying to make it better and more useful for our new attorneys. Um, but there's a couple components of that program. So one of them is you get a mentor. So you find a, a more seasoned attorney, somebody who has been out of practice for at least five years. Um, just to clarify, these mentors are Supreme Court certified mentors. So they meet certain requirements in order to be a mentor. Um, so you find this mentor, and you spend time with them. Um, we ask for at least five hours. A lot of people spend more time than that. Um, and the benefit of that is you make a connection, which is huge. Um, ideally, it's somebody outside of your practice. Out, it, is, it wouldn't be a supervisor. So it would be somebody that you can talk to and say, hey, I'm really, I'm struggling on this case. Or how do I do billable hours? Or, um, you know, where do I go to... I don't know, file a case. Like, how do I get into Metro Court? Like all of these really important questions that maybe were not answered in law school. So that's really important. So that's one part of the program. The other part of the program is we offer um, that CLE, continuing legal education that we talk about. Um, through the Bar Foundation, we partner with the Bar Foundation, the Center for Legal Education, who puts on courses. We partner with them and we are, like I said, developing this, revamping this, but we develop these continuing legal education programs that kind of, that are aimed to touch on important things that new attorneys need to know. Um, so it could be, again, it could be that calendaring conversation. It could be um, how to, you know, what, what does the disciplinary system look like? Do I need to be afraid when I get a letter from the disciplinary board? Um, basics of trust, which touches on IOLTA accounts. Um, so wellness programs, um, we're just constantly looking like, what do people want? What kind of information can we give them? Um, so those are the two main components of, that make up the program. Um, and with that, once you've completed the program, it covers your first year of minimum continuing legal education requirements, 
which is another benefit of the program. We give you those, the, we give you those CLEs um, that are required in your first full year. Okay, so let's back up to when you first have to find a mentor, because that in itself can seem like a daunting task, Yeah. especially if, you know, you're coming out of law school and not necessarily knowing a lot of attorneys other than maybe the ones in your firm, um, which it sounds like you shouldn't select somebody in your firm. Is that, that's right? I, you know, sometimes I think it is somebody in your firm or maybe you're with okay. the, you know, LOPD. And so you do have, it's some, it, it is not a supervisor because what really what we're aiming to do is have you be able to talk about things that maybe you can't talk to your supervisor about. Maybe you're afraid to say, I don't know how to bill a client or what I, I'm not an attorney. So I don't know those exact questions, but we want you to feel comfortable saying, I'm struggling with this. Can you help me? Um, and that ideally would come from somebody who's not a supervisor. So maybe it's somebody in your practice, in your firm. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's someone outside of your firm. Maybe it's somebody in a different part of the state. Um, the good thing about the pandemic is it really kind of introduced us all to Zoom. You can do stuff over Zoom. You can do stuff over, you can just talk over the phone if that's most convenient for you. Um, our directory, which is on the website, um, you can filter out by mentors. So people who are approved mentors, who are Supreme Court approved mentors, you can filter out by practice area. Maybe you want someone in family law. Maybe you're interested in criminal law. So you can sort that out. Um, maybe you want somebody, maybe you're in Las Cruces and you would like somebody local that you can actually meet with and go to lunch with and do coffee. So you can sort by that as well. Um, again, all of that is on our website with our through our member directory. Um, so it's the main member directory that you can filter all these things under. There's not a specific directory just to look up mentors. No, there's okay. no. And there's two spots on the website. So one of them is under the bridge, the gap section of the website, but also member directory. There is a checkbox where you can say, I just want approved mentors, Supreme court approved mentors. Okay. Did you have a recommendation either of you on how would somebody initiate a conversation to see if that mentor would take them and, and what does that look like? I, I would just like to say, I, I can appreciate that it'd be really intimidating to reach out to a more seasoned attorney and will you be my mentor? But I would like to remind anyone listening to this that these people have opted to be mentors. They have signed up, they got approved, they've let us, you know, they, they let us look through their history and say, yes, they're great. Like you should, you, we certify them as a, a, on a, a mentor. Um, so these people want to be here and they want to be mentors. So if that helps, you know, make it a little less intimidating, hopefully. And Stormy, what about you? Um, I think the other the other part of having a mentor is it's sort of a in-depth networking tool also. So a lot of attorneys, as they go through law school, they figure out what practice area they want to be in, and they will <clears throat> meet attorneys in that practice area. So it's a good thing to be thinking about as you go through law school, you know, you know, 
the people probably listening to this podcast have already been through law school, but think back to the uh, to the people that you worked with. Maybe you did a summer internship with them. Maybe you served on a committee with them. Maybe they were a professor, um, an adjunct professor at one of your classes. Those are people that you can also reach out to either to ask them to be a mentor or ask them, tell them, you know, this is the type of law I want to practice. Who do you think would be a good person for me to reach out to? So um, those are all ways. People can call us too, and we're happy to, to talk about, you know, these are people who might, you might want to reach out to. So, but okay. ultimately you have to pick up the phone and call. <laughs> well, and I spoke to a few mentors that are on the list just to see how people are reaching out to them and what's working to be able to get matched. And they really do um, like to have somebody that's interested in their area of practice or practicing in that area so that they feel like there's something they can offer them um, and that they are truly able to mentor them. It can be challenging, say, if somebody says, oh, I'm really into mediation and that person isn't, that's not a main part of their practice. Um, and so just really focusing on that. I know when I was looking for a mentor, which wasn't too, too long ago, um, I knew that I was going to have a, a baby in my first year of practice. And so I wanted someone that had children that I saw maybe they had a, a little more balance in life and I wanted some advice on how to balance those things. So not only was I looking for a similar area of practice, but I was looking for somebody with similar values or a similar life, you know, place in life so that I could get that mentorship. And it was really helpful to have somebody with those similar experiences. Yeah, Stormy. Um, I, I just want to mention here too, one of the things that we're changing about the program and beginning to incorporate in the program are mentoring circles, which I think will make finding a mentor and working with a mentor easier. Um, our goal, we don't have it yet, but this is the direction that we're heading in. <clears throat> our goal is to have um, mentoring circles in various practice areas that would include several different mentors and would be able to take multiple mentees into them. And as soon as we get that up and running, and we're hoping to do that within the next few months, um, I think that will make this whole process easier, the matching with the mentor. And it'll also make the mentoring experience, I think uh, the being mentored experience even more valuable because you'll be both with peers and with several different mentors that you can reach out to. So um, yeah, that sounds, on the like horizon. A, that sounds like a great resource. So Kate, moving forward. So we've selected our mentor. Um, you also talked about the CLE requirements that need to be met in that first year of practice and that you all offer ones that are, you know, ideally really helpful to people. So are those certain ones that you're offering required or can people choose to take different CLEs in that first year? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, so we, within the program, we have selected and, and designed CLEs specifically for the program. So our, our goal, and again, we're still revamping this and, and, and getting it going, our goal is to sort of have an a la carte style CLE. So here's all the CLEs you can take. You need to take four general and you need to take two ethics. Of those, you can select which ones speak to you more. Um, maybe it is wellness or maybe, you know, you do have an IOLTA. So you want to take those courses that meet 
um, your desires? What, what information do you want to know? Um, and just to re-emphasize, after having completed that program meeting with the mentor and taking the CLEs, you do get those that first full year of MCLE requirements um, once you've completed the program. So that 10 general and the two ethics um, you okay. get through the program. So if someone was interested, let's say, you know, at my office, we attended the Family Law Institute a couple weeks ago, and we have a newer attorney that we wanted to attend. That I assume wouldn't meet the requirements, but could he still attend that under this $350 that he paid or would he have to pay extra to attend that CLE? Also a really good question. And it would be a separate fee. Um, our, the, the, the bridge the gap fee is $300 and that covers the CLEs that we have under the program as well as the mentorship component of it. Jeremy, do you wanna talk more about that? I just wanted to mention that the Bridge the Gap program, though, does give unlimited audit ability uh, in that year that the, the person is going through the program. So if you wanted your new associate to attend, but you weren't particularly interested in them receiving the credit because you knew they were going to get that first full year of credit through going through the Bridge the Gap program, they could attend as an audit. They could audit that program for free. So okay. it's just another option. Great. So, and so now let's flip it and let's say, all right, we paid the extra for him to attend, but that means then he's going to get more than the 12 credit that's required because he's already enbridged the gap. What happens to those other credits that people earn on top of the 12? So he would be in really good shape. Um, you are required to do the 10 general and two ethics every year. So 12 total credits. If you get anything above and beyond that, you can start carrying those over into your next, your subsequent years. Um, so if he got an additional four general and two ethics going to the Family Law Institute, then he gets to carry over four general and two ethics into the next year. And then he's already ahead for his next year requirements. And those will just keep, you can just keep rolling them. Every year you can carry over up to 10 general and two ethics. Okay. And also these courses, where does one find the courses or the schedule for the Bridge the Gap courses that are being offered? So this is all run through the Center for Legal Education, which is the Bar Foundation, which is what we were talking about. Um, we partner with the center to put on these courses. They can set you up for the courses without, they won't, you wouldn't pay them directly, to be clear. So you pay the $300 Bridge the Gap fee to the state bar, but you don't pay anything to the Center for Legal Education, but they will set you up, they'll register you for the program. Just you pick up the phone and call them and say, hey, I'm part of the Bridge the Gap program and I need to schedule my CLEs. Okay, great. So um, in terms of getting to the end of the year, so you know, you've made it to December and I'm like, oh my gosh, how many credits did I get? I can't, you know, that first year you just kind of black out. So how could you check how many credits you've gotten? So I would go back and just reference what we were talking about earlier, where you want to go onto the website, sbnm.org. You want to set up your member portal using your email address of record, whatever email address you've given us. Um, you can go in and you can look at your transcripts for the year. 
How many courses did I get? Am I missing course? I took a course with the Family Law Institute and it's not on there. You can see all of that. If you have any questions about how to read it, um, why am I missing credits? Where are these credits? Call us, please. We are happy to be a resource. We have some really, really kind people who work um, at the State Bar and are happy to talk about, talk, walk you through your member portal, walk you, in, walk you through logging in, setting up an account, and then can help you understand your transcript, answer any questions. And Stormy, do you want to touch on that also? Yeah, I just wanted to point out that it's setting up your portal, setting up your dash, we call it a dashboard also, we sort of use the two terms interchangeably, but is really easy. You just click on login in the upper right-hand corner of the dashboard. And what you'll see, if you don't have an account, you'll have an opportunity to watch a little video that will take you through step-by-step step of how to create this account. And from there on out, you just log in and a big button at the top appears, my dashboard. And you click on that and you go right there. That's great. And I know we all appreciate step-by-step -step instructions. We need to be walked <laughs> through it, so it's good. Um, so, all right, so let's also talk about, I'm, we're at the end of our first year and oh my gosh, I didn't meet my requirements. Um, maybe I don't have enough money to pay for even at that first part of the year or now it's going into the next year. I don't have enough money to pay my dues or I'm gonna be late on my dues. What do we do? Does that, is that the end of us or are there other options? So it, it happens, right? You get to the end of the year, you don't have enough CLEs. Um, maybe you forgot to put a reminder on your calendar and you missed doing your licensing. And so what happens now? Um, February 1st is the deadline to both complete MCLEs every year, as well as complete your licensing and certifications. And that in, includes paying your annual licensing fees. Um, so let's say you missed that. Um, there's a fine that does get applied to your account. It's $275. So if you miss those deadlines, it is $275. However, with that $275, you get until April 30th to both, to all of these things, complete MCLEs if you need to do that, do your certifications if you need to do that, pay your licensing fees if you need to do that. Um, if you need a payment plan, call us and we can work out setting something up. However, I just wanna be clear that all of this has to be done by April 30th. So you're gonna to have to pay that late fee. You're gonna to have to do your certifications. You're gonna to have to pay your licensing and you're gonna to have to complete your MCLEs. And if you get to the end of April and you have not done that, under the rule, the state bar is required to send all of those attorney names to the Supreme Court. Supreme Court gets that list and they'll send you an order to show cause. And you would have to answer then directly to the Supreme Court. Okay, so obviously we wanna avoid that. So our two big deadlines are February 1st. And then if we're not able to make that April 30th. Correct. Okay, so, and so that pushes us into our next year. And so Stormy, can you talk about, you know, just your two big tips or things we can take away from this as we enter into our second years of second year of practice and and beyond what should we remember i guess <clears throat> an attorney told me in my first year of practice to and in my first year of admission to just start taking 
CLE courses and rack up as many as I could. And I was really curious during that time. So I racked up a bunch. Ideally, by the time you finish your first year of practice, my tip would be try to have 24 CLE credits at that point. So you'd have not just enough for the year you just completed, but you're already in compliance for the year that's coming up. And then if you just get 12 credits every year after that, you're always a year ahead. So if you hit a year where you have a baby or you, you know, get married or maybe something less pleasant happens to you, you have some cover. You have a little bit of leeway and breathing room. Um, it's a really nice way. It's worked really well for me. And um, it's, it's not that hard that first year you're, you're going to a lot of stuff and it's easy to get a lot of uh, credits. That's my, that would be my big tip. The other, the other big tip is we are your state bar and we are there to help. And we have lots of resources that I think Bill Sleese and Morgan Art Pettit are going to talk about either in another um, follow on podcast to this, but we have ethics helplines. We have uh, professional development programs. We have research tools in terms of fast case and those sorts of things. So don't just view the state bar as, oh God, they want my money and they're mean to me about making me take all this training. Um, we really do provide a lot of member service and um, uh, use us, we're, we're there for them. Thank you for that. And Kate, do you wanna talk about that more? Yeah, I just sort of wanted to, to lean on what Stormy was saying and that we are happy to be a resource. You know, I, attorneys have a lot they have to balance. They have a lot of rules they have to understand. We have a few that we're really good at and we can help you navigate those. Um, so reach out sooner rather than later. You don't wanna get into April and, you know, I haven't done anything, what do I do? Um, but reach out, we're happy to help. We are we want to be that resource for attorneys. Thank you guys. And we are going to do another podcast with Morgan Pettit and Bill Sleese about the member services aspect of things. But while regulatory stuff seems hard and maybe not as exciting, I know you guys are working on some projects always and you do have exciting things going on. Can each of you talk about things that you're looking forward to this year and a project that you might be working on? And Kate, I'll let you go first on that. Um, we have, for the past few years, we've been developing um, legal specialization. So this is something that maybe attorneys, newer attorneys can look towards, you know, a goal down the road um, to becoming a legal uh, specialist in, in their uh, practice area. Um, we're really excited about it. Um, like I said, we've been working on it for a couple years. So this is a big year for us. That is exciting. And Stormy, what about you? What are you working on this year? Um, I guess I would just reiterate some of the changes that we're looking to make to the Bridge the Gap program that we've touched on, the mentoring circles, changing up the curriculum. And we're really open to any ideas that new attorneys who have either recently completed the um, Bridge the Gap program or who um, are in the middle of it ideas that they have of what they'd like to see. But Kate's working with getting some national speakers in for organization and technical um, tools that, to help with the practice of law. 
we're, we're really trying to build the Bridge the Gap program into something that's truly useful to new attorneys and not just another check the box. So well, we're thank really excited you. about that. Thank you. That is exciting. And the State Bar and you all run so many great programs and we really appreciate your support. I appreciate you both taking the time today and look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks, Thank Lauren. you so much, Lauren. It's really been a pleasure. Thank you for listening. This episode was produced by the State Bar of New Mexico's Member Services Department. All editing and sound mixing was done by Blue Sky eLearn. Intro music is by Kevin McLeod at IncomTech. The views of the presenters are that of their own and are not endorsed by the State Bar of New Mexico. Nothing said in this podcast was legal advice for you.